that blessed you, singing truth over you, your household, your life, your friends, your family, God's with you, amen, let it be so, let it be so, let it be so, okay, we're going to have a message, I hope you are ready for a quick message, I want to bring a message of hope, and um, we're in a, in a season right now where it feels like lots of people have lost hope, but I want to call this message, what an opportunity, If you like titles to messages, there it is in your notes. What an opportunity. Now, one of the things that God tells us to do or encourages us with in in his word about gathering, we find in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and verse 24. And and it says this, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And here we are gathering on social media, but nevertheless gathering. And one of the things I hope that will come out of you watching this cast is that it will spur you on to love people better, to love people deeper, to love people stronger, and to do some good stuff. Isn't that a great message? What an opportunity right now in this moment to be the church. What a moment right now for you to be the most amazing person who doesn't just shut up shop and won't worry about yourself, but goes out there and loves some people, does some good stuff for people. My prayer and my hope is that you will be spurred on today to do some good stuff. So let's pray. Father God, just thank you for every amazing, amazing person who's tuning in right now. Bless you. Lord, I pray that you'd use someone like me to stir amazing people to love better to reach out, to do some good stuff. And in it all, Father God, my cry is that Jesus, you would be glorified. Amen, amen, amen. What a time to be alive. I feel like, you know, we're seeing the very best of people while also seeing the very worst of people. I I don't know about you, but we've had some amazing things happen in our street. A lady knocked on our door and she said, I want to start a WhatsApp group. I want us to to have all the street on a WhatsApp group so that we can be there for each other. If anyone's got a need, at least we'll know and we can support each other. Well, what a brilliant thing. I celebrate that woman. I'm talking with people that I have never spoken to before. And likewise, there's a community developing in our street. And I bet it's going on in lots of streets around the country because of what's happening. Isn't that a good thing? And I want us to celebrate brilliant people who are being innovative and getting out there and doing some good stuff. And so we're seeing the best of people. We're seeing kindness. People saying, can I help? Going to the shops with someone who can't get to the shops and bringing them back some tin stuff. Maybe even some toilet rolls. And and, and we're just blessing it. And we're seeing this. And it's amazing. There are some brilliant people out there. And let's celebrate brilliant, kind and generous people. Let's always celebrate that. The flip side, unfortunately, is we're seeing the worst in people. Hoarding. Going to the shops and literally just buying everything. You know, in case I don't get to eat for another year. And the knock-on effect of that is that people who are having to work go to the shops and there's nothing there. And it's ultimately selfishness and it's so sad. There's looting going on in some of the cities. You know, shops being broken into and stuff. We're seeing the very best of people while at the same time seeing the very worst of people. And this hoarding stuff is affecting people. 
Um, Sarah, my wife Sarah, who just led worship, and my son Josh and my daughter Evie. When school got closed down on Thursday, which my son Josh was super happy about, um, we went and had a meal together uh, to celebrate. We always celebrate the end of a school year, and it's come quicker than we expected. But we thought we'd take the opportunity after the meal to pop into Tesco's, and there are other stores available. But to pop, we popped into Tesco's thinking, let's get the essentials. Let's get some essentials. So we walked in there, down the bread aisle, not a bean. Down the pasta aisle, not a bean. Down the soup aisle, not a bean. So we went in for the essentials, but we came out with a pack of 12 beers, a pack of posh crisps, and three cream eggs. We got the essentials. But I'm sure many of you are having the same situation. And we have to laugh in the end. Because do you know what? You're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And if we have to sustain ourselves on cream eggs, we will manage. There's an amen somewhere out there. But it makes me think in this season, in terms of it being an opportunity for the church... The church is the bride of Christ. The church has the opportunity to bring heaven to earth. The church has the opportunity to be the mouthpiece of God. The church has the opportunity to be the hands and feet of God. How do we behave in a time like this? And we're right in the middle of a season in our church life where we're doing a series of preaches about identity. If you'd like to hear them, go onto our website, Equippers Church website, scroll down to the Essex page and find the sermons there and catch up. We've been talking about some great stuff. One of the things we've looked at is how you see yourself directly impacts how you behave because it's your starting point for everything. And so how you see yourself is going to impact how you behave. So church, could we apply that to ourselves? If we are the bride of Christ, if we are Jesus' hands and feet, how do we behave in a moment like this? And it's a good question to ask ourselves. I want to bring out two thoughts today, home in on one of them, but I want to bring out two thoughts today. Now, we have to go to God's word for this. We have to go to God's book on how to live life well, how to live a life that attracts blessing and enables you to be a blessing. Because whenever you live God's way, you will be blessed and you will bless others. And in it all, God's glorified, God wins, people win and you win. That's the way God wants life to work. It's there for the taking. So I'm going to throw a few verses out quite quickly just because I want them to get in you. The first behavior the church needs to have in this time is faith, not fear. Faith has to trump fear. We can see anxiety all around us, can't we? There are people who are worrying about their finances with reason to. But it's gripping some people. There are business owners out there thinking, oh, how am I going to pay my staff? How are we going to have to close down? People are becoming fearful and anxious. People are worrying about their health. People are worrying about their relationships. People are worrying about education. Should the school stay open? Should they not stay open? What's going to happen with my child's exams? Is this impacting them? Fear and anxiety are rising up more than ever. And I wonder if one of the worst things is we don't know how long it's going to last. And do you know what? We are pe- people, are, we love routines. And who knows that pretty much everyone's routine has been right messed up. And so that in itself brings anxiousness. But I want to say, church, fear cannot be in our language. Let me point you to a verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Church, that is our reality. 
That is part of who we are. That's part of our identity. So therefore, it has to affect how we behave at a time like this. Who knows? It's easy to be full of faith and have a spirit of power when everything's easy on the mountaintop. But it's in the valley where you really find out where you're at. And we're in a valley right now as humanity. But the church needs to be a church that speaks love and power through sound wisdom. Faith has to trump fear. I don't know if you're sitting with someone, but touch two people and say, come on, faith has to trump fear. What's happening is, in the midst of all this, people are wobbling. We don't know what's going to happen. But again, this is where our faith comes in. Do you know the word talks about faith as an anchor? Hebrews 6 and verse 19 says this. This hope we have, the hope in King Jesus, we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the valley. It allows us into the presence of God. But the point I'm making here is it's an anchor. We all know the purpose of an anchor. That when the water's choppy, the ship drops the anchor and it doesn't move. It may sway a little, but it's not going to get blown off course. It anchors. Come on, church, in this time, our faith is an anchor. You might sway a little bit, but you're not going to blow off course. And what we are doing is demonstrating heaven on earth. We have a hope in our hearts. Nothing can steal. Our God is for us. And my next verse is this. God is with you. Who knows the creator of heaven and earth is with you. I want to pray even right now that as I'm saying this stuff, you'll sense the presence of God in your home. How good to wake up in the morning and go, the king of heaven's in my home. The king of heaven's in my heart. The king of heaven in this dark hour has got me. This is what it says in Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. See, God's not distant. He's not sitting up there in heaven going, well, let's see how they handle this then. No, God says, hey, I'm a very present help. If you'll allow him, he'll come right into your situation and walk it out with you. And here's the key. You go into valleys sometimes, but you don't live there. You walk out of the valley. We will come out of this. But we can come out of this shining brightly, walking with the king of kings, or we can wrestle and struggle and fight and get fearful and anxious and wobble and be all over the place and come out a mess. Or we can say, God, I want to connect with you in this time. And God says through his word, I'm a very present help in your trouble. I'm your strong tower. So you don't need to fear. The truths are all through God's word. He will sustain you. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will position you in life for the fullest experience you could ever have. When you get God in the middle of everything, especially in times like this, he will bring you through. And I guarantee you, and I can say it with confidence, you will end up in a better place than when you started. Because God always moves you forward. So our first behavioral response as the church is to refute fear. Can I challenge you right now? Check your language. If there's fear in your language, come on, church, make a choice. Stop saying that stuff. You know, in your home, what's the atmosphere like? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Or are you full of faith saying, oh, come on, God's with us in this. We're going to be okay. How are your children feeling about this? Come on, speak faith out in your, in your home. Come on, husbands and wives, if you're married, get together and pray. Come on, God's in the middle of this with you. Faith has to trump fear every single time. Now, this is the one I really want to home in on today. The next behavioral response I believe God wants of his church is to step in and help. 
to step in. And first thing, faith trumps fear. Second thing, step in and help. This is arguably the biggest opportunity for the church in the history or in our lifetime. The opportunity where people are struggling and we get the opportunity to show what the church really looks like. I'm sure many, many people have got an opinion of the church and some of it might be well-founded. But hey, come on, give us a new start because we are here to represent the King of Heaven. He's the God of love and we want to be a church that loves people. We want to be a church that includes and accepts people. We want to be a church that doesn't worry about ourselves but actually puts others first. So this is an opportunity for us to step in and help. Psalm 41 verse 1 says this. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in a time of trouble. See right there I believe is the heart of the father. If you will stop making this situation about you. And start making this situation about someone who's having a difficult time. God will make it about you. And so in that way, you bless someone else and they're blessed. And God blesses you and you're blessed. Everyone is blessed. But all the while we make it about ourselves, God looks at that and says, okay, I love you, but you're making it about you. The person over here doesn't get helped. You don't get the full blessing from God and lose-lose. But when you do it God's way, win-win. When we make it about someone who's struggling, they get blessed. When God sees you do that, he says, I'm going to be in the midst of it in trouble with you. And he'll bring a blessing. So come on, church, this is a win-win situation. The trouble with times like these is we always assume that we're never going to be the one in need. You know, many of you will probably know the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's three groups of people in that story. There is the guy who gets beaten up and robbed. There are the religious people who walk past, notice what happened and kept going. And then there is the guy who stops and helped. Three different people. I believe at different points in life, we've probably all been those three different people. But the reality is we all think we're the Good Samaritan. But sometimes we're the guy who's been beaten up and robbed and we need someone to help. I remember a time in my life um, many, many years ago. um, I was living in Chelmsford at the time and my dad had unfortunately um, been given notice that his job, he'd lost his job, the company had taken a turn and and they didn't have um, a position for him. And it was difficult, it was unexpected and it was in December. And who knows that in our country, we do Christmas big. You know, we like to give gifts. We like to have all the extra foods and the knickknacks and the turkey. And, and then there's that bit after dinner where you have to have all the ham and everything comes out. It's big. It is expensive. And we were facing a Christmas. We were like, oh, dear, what are we going to do? And, of course, my dad wanted to be great for us. And he didn't know it was coming. We hadn't prepared for it. But on the 23rd of December, we woke up in the morning. We opened up our front door and someone had put a hamper on our door. Don't know who it was. But it had in it everything we could have possibly needed and more to have a great Christmas. Now, I don't know who did that, but I bet this, I bet they loved doing that. I bet they thought, they're going to wake up and be so chuffed. And that does something on the inside of you when you bless someone else. Even if they don't know it's you, your inside going, that was really good. Doing good stuff makes you feel good. But I tell you what, it super blessed us. And you know what? It made us feel like, wow. God knew and he prompted someone and it made us think, wow, there are some brilliant people out there. It's good to be alive. And what was potentially a horrible situation turned into a really great situation. Well, right now, there are a lot of people out there struggling, struggling to get their necessities, struggling for relationship. People literally on their own, fearful of going out. Could we be the hands and feet of God?
Could we be people who actually reach out to them and love them? Why? Because God loves it and blesses it. It will bless you and it will bless them. See, if we're going to go through this situation and make it all about ourselves, it's lose-lose. You'll get through. But if we can not make it about us and make it about someone else, we are representing the God of heaven. And everyone wins. So come on, church. Stir yourself up. Look around. What difference could you make? Jesus talks about some of this kind of stuff. And it's arguably the greatest sermon in the history of mankind. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll find it in Matthew 5. And I want to just read you a short excerpt from it. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 says this. Jesus speaking. You are the light of the world. You, the church, people. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and, give, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Here's the thing. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I want you to remember that last bit because I'm going to refer to it. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, how can we have goodness in us, faith in us, kindness in us and hide it he says a light has to be seen because who knows that light always trumps darkness if a room is completely dark with no light and you walk in there and even just shine a a match it brings light to the whole area a little bit of light completely changes the darkness and Jesus is saying church you are the light of the world So we've got to be like a city on a hill. We've got to get up high and shine light everywhere. Why? Because people will be blessed. But that means action. That means we have to actually do something. That means we can't in this time close up shop, shut shut ourselves in and worry about ourselves and our own little provisions. That's hiding your light under the bushel. We need to be actually willing to look around and say, what can we do to make a difference? What can we do to bless someone? How can I be a light? And you might have to get imaginative, but this is the greatest opportunity of our lifetime. What an opportunity we're living in right now. We need to shift something. We need to shine. We need to shine goodness. We need to shine kindness. We need to shine generosity. And we need to shine love. Come on, could we be the church that makes God smile? Could we be the church that makes people smile? Could this be the time where so many people who have an opinion negatively on the church suddenly look back and go, wow, the church was amazing in that time and we could shift something? Because I tell you this, people who actually know Jesus, what's not to like? Everywhere Jesus went, he drew crowds. Every party there was at, he got invited. People love to be around Jesus, but yet they don't seem to love to be around the church. So the church hasn't been representing an authentic Jesus. And I want to say, come on, this is the time for the church to be authentic. This is the time to shine our light. This is the time to step in and help someone. This is the time where faith has to trump fear. This is the time where we could make a difference. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, someone might see something of Jesus in the way you live and the way you behave because you know your identity is the church of Christ. I want to say this, that there's a difference between sympathy and compassion. You know, in this time, you could well see someone who's having a really difficult moment. And it's good to go to them, sit with them, pat them on their back and go, there, oh, I understand. That in itself is kind. People need people to stand together. But that doesn't make any difference. 
Compassion's different to sympathy. What compassion does is it sees a need and says it's not okay. It sees a need and steps in and does something about the need. Now, whether it can change everything or some of it, it will move it forward. Sympathy will pat you on the back and go there, there, there. Compassion will say, this is not okay. Come on, I'm going to do something with you. Church, could we be the church that carries compassion over sympathy? Could we be looking at situations and people's lives around us and actually stepping in and making a difference? Because that will glorify our Father. Come on, compassion has to step in. Now, I highlighted that last little verse in that Matthew 5 passage, and it said this, people will see your deeds and glorify God. And this is what I've been wrestling with that. Because do you know what? There are some amazing people out there doing some amazing things. Some of them doing more amazing things than me right now. I'm going to be up in my game. I hope you will do too. But those people are being kind. They're being generous. But is God being glorified? And maybe a little bit, but not possibly how I picture it. And it's got me wrestling with it. And it's like, well, if people are doing good stuff and it's not really glorifying God, but it's blessing people, where does that lead the church? Because we want to be a church that bless people and glorify God. And I've had to wrestle with it a bit. And I've come to a conclusion or I feel like I've had a revelation and I hope it blesses you, stirs you and challenges you because the heat's on church and we've got to step up. This is where I've got taken to. Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 11. Have a listen to this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will arise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Can you see the links between the previous passages and this one? It talks about caring for people. It talks about shining a light. It talks about God looking at that and stepping in and making your life, in the Bible's description, a well-watered garden. You're going to flourish when you live like that. But here's where I believe this passage differs. It's where it talks about fast. This is the fast that God loves. And then it goes on to describe Caring for people, clothing the naked, giving to the poor, putting someone else first. That is the fast that God loves. And for anyone who knows anything about fasting, in very simple layman's terms, fasting is giving up something that benefits you. Generally food, but not only. Fasting is giving up something that benefits you to press into something that's spiritual. So often you will fast food, you'll stop eating something for your body, and as your body gets hungry, you'll pray more and press into God, and it raises up your spirit, and there's a spiritual purpose behind it. 
So if fasting, it costs you something. So to not eat food costs you something. Some people, when we did our church fast recently, they fasted social media. And when you're someone who's on social media quite a lot, it costs you something. It's a lifestyle change. It impacts you. It hurts a little bit. But there's purpose behind it, that you press in to the king of kings and your life is shifted. But here's where I think the church can be different to anyone else on the planet. There are lots of people being kind, and I celebrate that, and I will always celebrate that, and it's amazing. Whatever else comes out of this, be kind. But for the church, there's another level. The kind of kindness and goodness and generosity God is looking at from the church is going to cost us something. It's talking about fasting. It's talking about this is going to be a little bit painful for you. And what does he, what does he point towards? Clothing the, the naked, feeding the hungry, giving to the poor. He says, this is a fast. It's going to cost you. So let me just put some language around that to make it easy for you. Imagine you were the first person in the queue to the toilet rolls last week. And you managed to buy a handy 24 toilet rolls. Yes. Then you hear that your neighbour hasn't got any toilet rolls. Or that maybe they're down to their last one toilet roll and they're starting to get the panic on. Who knew toilet rolls? But then you think, oh, I've got 24 toilet rolls. Well, I can help there. Wouldn't it be a good thing to do to knock on their door and say, I heard you're struggling for toilet rolls. That'd be a bit of a weird conversation. <laughs> I, I, I hear you're struggling for toilet rolls. Here, have two of mine. How blessed would they be? Oh, thanks so much. Oh, that's a, cool. it gives me a bit of time to try and find someone. Thanks so much. That's really helpful. It's very easy for anyone, if they've got a kind heart, to give two of their 24 toilet rolls away. Here's what I believe God's looking for from the church in terms of a fast. Would you give away your last toilet roll? When you hear that your next door neighbor is down to their last sheet, There's lots of laughter from the worship team here. When you hear your neighbour is down to their last smidgen and you've got one toilet roll, what do you do then? Because you have a choice then to make it about you or to make it about them. And we've already established that God says when you stop making it about you and you make it about you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you like a well-watered garden. When that person hears that you gave them your last toilet roll. I believe that is very different from giving one of your 24. And I believe they're going to go, why did, wow. And I believe that right there is when people will glorify God. Because that's different. That's a bit outrageous. That's not normal. That could only be someone who is representing Jesus. The only people I believe who would go to that level of generosity is someone who knows Jesus in their heart. I am willing to sacrifice myself to lift you up. And then people glorify God. You know, we've had situations in, in history in, in our home where people have posted a little brown envelope with cash in it. We've been in a difficult moment in our life financially. And you're like, oh, God, come on, we need something. To come. And suddenly someone, you know, has been praying for us or, or, or heard about it or whatever has said, you know, they don't give names. They just stick some money through the door. And you're like, oh, amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing for people to hear that there's someone up the road who couldn't afford their shopping this week and so you put a £20 note in an envelope and just shove it through the door? That's kind. 
It's generous. And that person will be blessed. And I believe you'd be blessed. You'd feel good about yourself. Here's what I believe God's looking at. It's a fast. Most people listening to this cast, not everyone, but most people listening to this cast could quite easily put a £20 note in an envelope and put it through someone's door. And it would be kind. And if you feel prompted to do that, do it. But that's not a fast. A fast is when it's going to impact your finances. A fast is when you say, okay, God, I hear the people up the road, they can't pay their mortgage this month. I hear they can't put any food on the table. I hear they're going to have to have the electricity cut off. I hear something difficult is happening. God, what should I do? How amazing would it be if you put a thousand pound in an envelope and posted it through the door and said, God bless you. Now, that would impact my finances. It would probably impact yours. And I'm not saying be wild and reckless, be wise. But I am saying God is looking, church, for another level. God is looking, church, for you to be a bit outrageous. Jesus was outrageous everywhere he went. You know, you probably all know the story of when he turns water into wine, probably the most famous one. It was his first miracle. And you know what he did? He turned the water into the best wine. In that society at that time, they would have wine through the day, but they'd have the best wine first because at that point, no one's drunk and they get to taste it. Oh, nice wine. By the end of the night, no one cares what it tastes like. They're hammered. But when Jesus rocks up on the scene, they've run out of wine. And Mary, his mum, says, Jesus, come on, it's time to step in. And so what does Jesus do? He turns the water into wine, but not any wine. He turns it into the best wine. And all the guests are like, wow, you saved the best wine to last. That's amazing. They're glorifying God. Why? Because Jesus is a bit outrageous. I believe Jesus wants to be outrageous to you. And I believe Jesus wants the church to be outrageous to represent him well. So I don't know what that looks like in your life right now, but I know this. God is looking for us to be generous and kind at a level where it costs us something so that people will glorify God. And I just wonder how many people might encounter the love of Jesus because of outrageous acts of the church being his hands and feet and his mouthpiece. Come on, this is such an opportunity, church. There might never be a moment like this in our lifetime. It's time to step in. It's time to be outrageous. It's time to be men and women of faith. Now's where we find out where our faith's really at. Would you give money away knowing God will supply? Would you give some away that's important to you knowing that God will supply? Or will you hold on to it and think, oh, I don't know? Have wisdom. But would you pray, would you challenge yourself, and would you press in and do something amazing? I believe it's that sacrificial kindness is where God will get glorified. So come on, let's take this opportunity. Ultimately, in all of this, we get to reflect the heart of God. Because for anyone who knows our gospel message, God looked down at humanity his treasured possession, his favorite creation. He looked out what the struggle was going on. They would, he was disconnected from humanity. And what did he do? He gave his best. He gave his only son and said, I'm going to step in. This is going to cost me. It's going to be painful. He's going to die a grisly death he doesn't deserve. And he's my son. But I don't want to have sympathy and go there, there, humanity. I want to have compassion and step in. It will cost me and it will hurt me, but it will position us better. Probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible is John 3.16. And I also want to add into it John 3.17. Let me read them to you. They say this, John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Great verses. They are verses that I hang my life on. You see, God so loved the world, his motivation for sending Jesus was love. I care too much about humanity to leave it struggling. I've got to step in and do something. And so Jesus came in and he lived the life that demonstrated heaven on earth. Everywhere he went, people wanted him to be there. Everywhere he went, he made lives better. He healed people. He provided for people. He gave wisdom. There's a story where a woman is getting stoned because she was caught in the act of adultery. And in that time, being caught in adultery was stoning to death. And Jesus was sat there and they had this woman up against a wall and the men were ready to throw stones. And one of them looked at Jesus and said, Rabbi, what would you do? And Jesus, full of wisdom, said this, those without sin cast the first stone. In other words, if you've never done anything wrong, knock yourself out. But otherwise, you're saying what you've done wrong is not as bad as what she's done wrong. And that's not how I view it. And so the men dropped the stones and walked away and the woman lived. And she came to Jesus. And right here is the gospel message. She faced death. She looked death in the eye. And she came to Jesus shaken up. And he said to her this, are your condemners here? And she said, no. And he said this, neither do I. Go and live a great life. And right there is the heart of Jesus. God loved the world that it cost him to send him. But he didn't come to condemn the world. I think so many people think Jesus is about boxing me in and making my life bad and being religious and pointing the finger and telling me how bad I've been. That's not the heart of Jesus. If you look anywhere in the word, in the actual Bible and read it for yourself, that's not what it says. He loved people. He set people free. He broke chains. He healed people. He bent down and washed feet to lift other people up. There was the heart of Jesus. And the Bible says he didn't come to condemn you, but to save you. And that word saved is like a, an ongoing thing. And this is where I think it's so important in today's society. God is saving people from depression, from anxiety, from fear, from loneliness, from rejection. These are chains around people's lives and we're trying to get on and we're feeling lonely and rejected and we're pushing through. And Jesus said, I came to help you with that. Let me in and I'll set you free. People who are struggling in poverty and wrestling through and can't seem to pay for anything and juggling everything. He says, I'll be your provision. Allow me in. I came to save you from that stuff. He didn't come to condemn you and tell you how bad you were. He came to bend down and lift your life up. And people who have had their lives lifted up by Jesus have got a light to shine. And we get an opportunity in this season, church, to shine the light that says, I was once down and God lifted me up. I've got a story to tell. And out of that, he stirred up such generosity in me that I want to step into your world and help you. I've got no other agenda than to love you. But if you're moved by my story, let me show you my Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, it's a life changer. And it brings hope and security and love and peace. And it sets your future in stone you're going somewhere good so I want to take this moment church firstly to pray for the church 
but secondly to pray for anyone out there wrestling with these stuff so wherever you are would you mind just just maybe having a moment closing your eyes maybe let's just take a moment Father God I thank you for the time we live in right now Lord would you stir your church not to do church but to be the church could we be that light on a hill Could we love sacrificially, be kind sacrificially? Could we represent you better? Lord, for everyone who knows that's them, I just pray that you'd stir us and give us eyes to see around us, situations to see around us where we would step in because we know that you love that and it represents you well. Maybe you're out there and you've watched this live cast and I hope it's moved you. And my greatest honor as a pastor is to introduce people to Jesus. Is today the day you say, okay, I've been stirring for some time or I've drifted away from my relationship with Jesus or I've never known Jesus. Is today the day you say, I want some of that. I've never heard it like that before. I've never understood it and I want to know more. Is today the day you pray a prayer that says, Jesus, you're welcome in my life. I don't know everything I need to know right now, but I'm prepared to go on a journey with you. Should we pray that prayer together? Let me pray for you. All you need to do if that's you is say amen. Father God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you loved me enough to send him. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you've got great plans for me. I thank you that I have a safe future. I thank you that you're going to protect me and provide for me. So today, Jesus, I invite you to live in my heart. I want to walk out this life with you. I want to learn more about you. I want to be a little bit more like you. I know I'm not perfect. Who is? But I want to do my best. So you are welcome here. I say sorry for shutting you out, for doing things that haven't been great. But today I want to put my life right with you. You're welcome here. Amen, amen, amen. Can I encourage you, if you prayed that prayer or you felt stirred, would you email in or would you message us on Facebook or or Instagram? Essex at equippers.co.uk. We'd love to hook up with you, communicate with you, help you on your journey. We'd love to see you when the church opens again. There is life here. But for the church, come on, what an opportunity. This is our moment to shine. I hope this has blessed you. Have an awesome week. Let's stay connected. Get inventive. Text people, WhatsApp people, FaceTime, Zoom, whatever it takes, stay connected. But peace to you in Jesus' name.